We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Happy New Year. A little belated, but uh, better late than never, right? I'm glad to see all of you. We hope that as we begin this new year, we pray, we all pray, that it will be a better year than last year. Um, but as believers, I think we need to always keep our eyes on the Lord. Sometimes I hear Christians complaining more than unbelievers, and that's not good. Uh, we uh, know that all these things are happening because we live in the world. And the Lord said, in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So what are we worried about? Don't, don't be an alarmist. Don't listen to rumors. Spend time in the Word. Concentrate on the important things and leave the unimportant to the side. Amen? Now you'll be much better for that and you'll have more peace in your life. The reason we close the church, as you found out in the uh, emails that we sent, and I say this to clarify, it's not because anybody got sick. Is that understood? So far, so good. We've had, right now, we have one person in, on quarantine, but that happened after we closed the church. And we always take the precautions necessary, and I trust that you too will do that in case you have some symptom, you don't feel well, blah, 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 stay home. Because we don't want this to spread, okay? Um, but we closed the church for two reasons. Number one, because of New Year's. You don't know who hangs out with who where. And sometimes people go wild. And maybe you yourself don't go wild. I don't. But somebody else next to you, you might go up to a place that they are going wild. Uh, we don't know who associates with who. So that was one reason. The other reason was this new strain of the, of the virus that came from South Africa. Uh, that nor it, it's, it's so much... Uh, you know, it's affecting so many people. But uh, that's the two reasons why we closed the church. We want to keep our people safe. And uh, I thank the Lord. I want to tell you that I, I was tested, and, I, and the testing was negative. Okay? I'm fine. Uh, the only thing, I, 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 I've been without a voice for a couple of weeks. I was hoarse. But I never had a fever, I never had symptoms, I never had anything, and even when I tested, I tested January the 2nd, and it came out negative, okay? So everybody is okay, we thank the Lord, and uh, let's trust Him. Uh, regarding the vaccine, a lot of people are asking questions, some Christians are playing down, freaking out, and I don't think we need to do that. Okay, uh, we already researched the two most famous vaccines, with our, which are Pfizer and Moderna, and both of them do not use human fetuses. Is that clear? So if you have a conscience about that, or you're worried, don't worry about that. Uh, now, whether, whether you should get the vaccine or not, that's up to every individual. My youngest niece is a nurse. She's treating COVID patients, so she had to get it. They offered her to her, and they did not force her, okay? Uh, the other one is on the fence, and the uh, oldest one is absolutely refusing to take the vaccine. So it's up to each individual, amen? 
Cuomo is not going to come after you like somebody wrote to me. Cuomo is counting arms. He's doing nothing of the kind. All our benefits are going to be taken away. Listen, our source is God, not the government. Amen? So don't worry about that. He says, I will supply all your needs according to you, my riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And if you want to know the reference, it's Philippians 4.19. So let's not act like bratish, spoiled children. Let's act like Christians. And trust the Lord. He is our source. Amen? All right. Having said all that, what do you say? We enter the word of God. As I promised you, we're starting today. We would have started at the beginning of the month, but since we have no service, we're starting today. And we're going to be covering the great book of Hebrews. The great book of Hebrews. By the way, Hebrews is found in the New Testament, not the Old. Don't let the, don't let the name deceive you, Billy. You've been looking at the wrong place, in the wrong place. Okay. Hebrews is one of the doctrinal towers of the New Testament, together with Romans. You have Romans, and then you have Hebrews. Those are the two monumental doctrinal books of the New Testament. Not that the others are not, but they are so, um, they teach so much doctrine, and of course because they are longer books, they have more content. So in the book of Hebrews, I'm going to see, be telling you just a few things. Today we're going to do kind of an introduction, and we'll go as far as we can. We're not, we are in no rush. So why don't we just begin? I think it would be nice for us to just read the first verses of the epistle. Chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews. Verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. And notice it says the last, these last days. Hebrews was written almost 2,000 years ago, and if they believed they were in the last days then, we are in the last seconds. Okay? Whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged um, our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has, an in, as he, as he has by inheritance Obtain a more uh, excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let the angels of God worship him. 
And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same. And your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his precious word. As I said to you, uh, the epistle to the Hebrews is what we're going to be covering from now on. And let me begin by saying, thank you, maybe begin by saying that the writer of this book is anonymous. This is the only book in the New Testament we do not know who wrote it. But people have suggested various names, including that of the Apostle Paul. But there is no concrete evidence to this fact. However, it is... Um, safe to say that the person who wrote this book that God used to write the book was a Jew. Okay? The, God used only Jews to write his word because it says in Romans 3.2, for to them were committed the oracles of God. So I think every writer, well of the Old Testament we know, but of the New Testament as well, people do not realize this, Every writer of the New Testament was also a Jew. Matthew, his name was Levi. And Mark was the son of a prominent family in Jerusalem. Luke, some people say he was a Greek. I believe he was a Hellenistic Jew. He was of the Greek culture, but he was a Jew. And John definitely was a Jew. He was the son of Zebedee from Capernaum. And then we have Paul, who was from the tribe of Benjamin. A Hebrew of the Hebrews, and Peter, of course, and James. The name of James, I don't know why they say James in English. It should have been Jacob, because in Hebrew is Jacob, and in Greek it's Jacob. So it's Jacob, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, and he's mentioned in Matthew chapter 13, towards the end of the chapter. Uh, and Jude was the other half-brother of Jesus. And... Uh, and those are all the writers, I think, are in, are in, oh, well, Titus? No, well, no, it was Paul who wrote Titus. So every, everyone is a Jew in the, in the uh, Bible. So um, the writer, besides being a Jew, had a very thorough knowledge of biblical Judaism, okay, which only a Jew could possess. No Greek could have known the things that the writer says here in Hebrews. They are amazing things. Okay? And everything from the Old Testament. And lastly, 
he had to be a Jew who believed in Jesus the Messiah for but no one of the 12 apostles. Not one of the 12 apostles wrote this epistle. How do we know that? Well, if you go to chapter 2, okay, for a second, and you go to verse 3, the writer is telling his readers, it says in verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. What is he saying here? He says, the word of God was first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed by those who heard him. Obviously, the writer did not hear the Lord personally. He's a second-generation believer, okay? And he's writing also to second- or third-generation believers, as it were, because he says those who heard him, okay? So he was not an eyewitness, and he did not listen to him. He was kind of like the Apostle Paul in a way. The Apostle Paul was not one of the 12, and yet God used him to write 14 books of the New Testament, okay? Now, the Apostle Paul saw the Lord, but the Lord had already resurrected. The, Paul never saw or heard the Lord that while he was down here on earth in his earthly ministry. Okay, Because we hear about Saul of Tarsus, Paul in Acts chapter seven, 7, at the end of chapter 7, for the first time. Okay, So now, um, having said that, uh, even though the writer of Hebrews is unknown, as we said before, the author of the book is not unknown. Because the author of the book, like every book in the Bible, is God. Some people say, well, the author of Hebrews. Now, the author of Hebrews is not a man, just like the author of John is not John. Okay, now we know in a way he is because he wrote it, but he's not the one who inspired it. God inspired all 66 books of the Bible. Is that clear? All right? All right, so... uh, The writer of Hebrews is unknown, but the author of the book is known, and it is God himself. How do we know that? Well, because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy that all Scripture is inspired or God-breathed by God. And it is profitable for instruction, for correction, for teaching, Okay, to instruct the man of God to be complete in every good work. And not only that, but the apostle Peter in his second... It's interesting that both of those apostles, Peter and Paul, wrote about the inspiration of the word of God in the last book they each one of them wrote. The apostle Paul in 2 Timothy, that was the last book the apostle Paul wrote. He, he's telling us he's ready to depart. He senses, his, he knows his death is imminent. And the Apostle Peter tells us the same thing in Second Peter. If you turn to it one second. Second Peter chapter 1, okay, in verse uh, 20. It says, verse 20, chapter 1 of Second Peter, knowing this first 
that no prophecy of Scripture is, is of any private interpretation. You get that? People say, oh, well, that's, it depends on how you interpret it. There is no such thing as that. There are only two ways to interpret the Bible, the right way and the wrong way. Is that theologically simple enough? Okay. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. Some people say, well, man wrote this. My uh, professor at the Bible Institute, Dr. Wilmington, who is in heaven now, used to say, man could not write the Bible if he would. And he would not write the Bible if he could. It's an absolute impossibility. And you take into account the fact that God used 40 different writers to write his word in a span of over 1,500 years in three different languages. And there's not one contradiction. Every, everything is in perfect harmony. Sometimes you have men writing books and they contradict themselves. Right? But God is not confused. God knows exactly what he says. He says what he means and he means what he says. So we can trust him. And it says there in verse 21, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter and Paul, both apostles, agree about the fact that the Bible is God's inspired word. And that includes the book of Hebrews. Now, the recipients of this epistle were, like I said before, second-generation Jewish believers in Jesus the Messiah. We read that, read that just now in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. The abundance of Old Testament quotations in the, in the epistle is evidence that these people were familiar with the Scriptures. Gentiles, that meaning, meaning non-Jews, okay, were ignorant of the Old Testament. They didn't know anything about the Old Testament. You notice when the Apostle Paul, when you read the book of Acts, how many of you have read the book of Acts? And you go to chapter 17 when the Apostle Paul is preaching in Athens, the capital of my country where I was born. And he's preaching there on Mars Hill at the foot of the Acropolis. He's not preaching a sermon from the Old Testament. He doesn't talk to them about the prophets of the Old Testament. He preaches a sermon according to their culture. He gives them the truth, but he speaks to them in a way that they can identify and understand. If he had started quoting Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and all that, they would have not known what he was talking about. Because the Greeks were very learned, but only in human knowledge. Human philosophy, human knowledge, human wisdom. Not God. Okay? Not God's wisdom. Now, Gentiles were ignorant of the Old Testament, and also the writer warned them against going back into Judaism. And you're going to see this, we're going to see this throughout the epistle. He keeps on warning them, be careful, don't go back to Judaism. Not biblical Judaism, but rabbinical Judaism. Okay, we're going to talk about that in, in uh, time to come. Uh, such a warning would have been unnecessary if he was addressing Gentile believers. If he was addressing Greeks or uh, Romans... 
there would have been no need for, them, for him to give such a warning. But he's talking to Jews who had believed in the Messiah. And because of persecution, we're going to see, they were tempted to go back into rabbinical Judaism. In all probability, the people the writer is addressing are Jews living throughout Judea, believing believers suffering a lot, uh, a lot of persecution at the time the epistle was written. The epistle was written before the destruction of the temple. The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem took place in the year 70 A.D. Okay? Uh, evidence of it is the fact that the writer speaks about the Levitical sacrificial system in the present tense. Verbs are very important when you study the scriptures. I mean, every word is important, but verbs talk to us about what do, what do verbs do, teachers? What do they indicate? Action. Oh, what a knowledgeable church. This is fantastic. Okay? V uh, verbs indicate action. So when you are right in the present, it means that the action is taking place at that time. Okay? And as a matter of fact, in the Greek, the present tense in the Greek is continuous action. It's linear, not punctiliar. It's not just a dot. It's a line. It's, in other words, it's happening. Okay? Continuously. Um, how do we know this? Okay, go to Hebrews chapter 7. And, of course, we're just talking by way of introduction, all these things. So we're just laying down the foundation, the basis. Because you can never know a book properly unless you know its background. Okay? The background, the time it was written, the purpose for its writing, what is the main uh, you know, theme or themes, what was the key verse or verses. It's important to know those things. Now, if in chapter 7 of Hebrews, go to verse 8. And it says there, made it there? Chapter 7, verse 8, says, Here mortal men receive tithes. So when do they receive the tithes? Yesterday, today, or tomorrow? When? Now. Okay, at the time this was being written, mind you, okay? Here mortal men, mortal men receive tithes, but there, meaning in heaven, he receives them of whom, of whom it is witness that he lives. Talking about Jesus. Go to the next chapter, chapter 8, and look at verse 4. For if he were on earth, meaning the Lord, he would not be a priest, since there are priests. What does it say? Since there what? Are. Now. In other words, at the time the epistle was being written, there were priests. There are priests who offer, again, present tense, the gifts according to the law. So that's how we know that this Levitical, Levitical system was still going on at the time the epistle was written. Okay? Let's go to chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer, again, present, continually, year by year, 
make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For, for the worshipers, one purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. Okay? And look at the same chapter, verse 8. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for, for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Again, present tense. Okay? And then look at one more verse, verse 11 of the same chapter. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. So you see all those verses, just to give you an example, speak about what's going on in the temple at that time the epistle was written. So at the time the epistle was written, the Levitical mosaic sacrifices were being still were going on. Okay? The temple had not yet been destroyed. It would happen very soon, but at the time it had not yet. So it also makes the epistle in the last chapter, you don't need to go to it, but it also makes mention of Timothy. And in the present tense, so it was written after Timothy's conversion and before his death. Now, we may conclude by these factors, and there are other, a few others, but by these is enough to say that it was written between the years 64 and 66 A.D., maybe 67 A.D., okay? So this is right before the destruction of the temple, and this is very significant. The theme of Hebrews, this is the important thing here. The theme of Hebrews, you need to keep this in mind, and if you need to write it down, write it down. The theme of Hebrews is the superiority of Christ, okay? As opposed to the rudiments and shadows of rabbinical Judaism and even Levitical Judaism. In other words, what was going on in the temple was just a shadow of the real thing. And the real thing is Jesus. Amen? So the book teaches us the superiority of Christ. Now, all these sacrifices that they used to perform, the Levites, the priests, pointed to him. And they were only temporary. They were not forever. They were temporary. Christ is eternal. That's the contrast. That's one of the reasons why he is superior. The sacrifices were temporal. He is eternal. Okay? And therefore, the readers are exhorted by quoting heavily from the Old Testament not to return to rabbinical Judaism because of the pressure imposed on them by their unbelieving compatriots at a time when the seeds of rebellion against Roman rule were springing up. Now, this is a time things were bubbling in Israel. Bubbling. Okay, and why did the Romans destroy the temple in 70 AD? Because the Jews rose up against Roman rule. Okay, and so they came as a retaliation, came down hard on them, destroyed the temple, destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They slaughtered about one and a half million Jews, and the rest were scattered. And to this day, the temple has not been rebuilt. Okay, and uh, not only that, but they changed the name of Jerusalem, and they called it Elia Capitolina. 
so as to erase any type of clue. And the land, they called it Palestine, Palestina in Latin, which actually is the Latin for Philistia. Okay? So, uh, our friends, the Romans. And uh, I'm reading a book, it's called Our Jewish Friends, written by a believing Jew who gives a whole history of Judaism and what Christianity said. And let me tell you, I am so ashamed that some of these so-called fathers of the church made statements so horrible about the Jewish people. Okay? And that's what has caused the big rift between Jews and Gentiles, which now in the last hundred years or so is beginning to be kind of mended. Uh, pe people, churches are realizing that we need to treat the Jews, Jews differently. And, you know, in this church we do. Okay? Uh, <clears throat> because you, call, you, you tell me, well, they rejected Christ. Yeah, sure. But for every Jew that you show me that rejected Christ, I'll show you a hundred Christians who rejected Christ. Yet I don't hear too many condemning them. So if you're going to be condemning anybody, be fair. Don't single them out. Because unto them were given the promises. And besides, it was all prophesied that they were going to do that. That's within God's purposes as well. Now, um, There was a spirit of patriotism flourishing in Israel at the time. And, you know, we see that in one of the apostles. Did you ever hear of Simon the Zealot? You know what the Zealots were? They were revolutionaries. They were fighting. They were guerrilla war. They practiced guerrilla warfare, fighting to depose Rome, kick the Romans out of there. Simon the Canaanite. He was not a Canaanite because he was a Canaanite by nationality. It's because the Can they were called Canaanites. The zealots were called Canaanites. Okay? So it's interesting. They were patriots. And yet you have somebody like Matthew working for the Romans. He was a tax collector. They hated each other. But in Christ, Matthew and Simon become what? Brothers. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can unite people under a common denominator. So there was a spirit of rebellion. There was a spirit of patriotism at the same time. It was bubbling, was boiling, and it boiled over, over in, the, in the years 70. Now, they are exhorted, these people, to remain true to their faith in the Messiah and not go back to the shadows of the law. Now, these Jewish believers, because of the fierce persecution they were facing, thought they could go back <coughs> to Judaism for a time, excuse me, and once the persecution subsided, they could get, get saved all over again later. This would take care of their apostasy, and they could begin their spiritual lives all over again. It's like somebody who has trusted in Christ, like me, for example, because, you know, the Greek Orthodox Church starts uh, persecuting Christians. In order to avoid persecution, I go back. 
and after the persecution subsides, I come and I confess Christ all over again. There's only one problem with that. In order to do this, Christ would have to be crucified all over again, which is a total impossibility. The Judaism they wanted to go back to was not a biblical Judaism, but a rabbinical one, just like the Judaism of today. Okay? This is the Judaism that rejected Jesus as Messiah, committing what Jesus calls the unpardonable sin. Many times people come to me or throughout the years and say, Oh, I think I committed the unpardonable sin. Are you saved? Yeah, then you did not commit the unpardonable sin. Don't worry about it. The unpardonable sin was committed by that generation. Matthew chapter 12. And if you read the Gospel of Matthew carefully, you notice that from chapter 13 on, the Lord uses different tactics in talking to the people. He doesn't talk openly to the crowds anymore. He talks to the disciples in private, to the crowds. He speaks through parables. Why? Because in chapter 12, they rejected him. They told him he had a demon. And that's the unpardonable sin. The unpardonable sin is attributing to Satan the works of God. That is the worst thing you can do. And the Lord says, for that, there is no forgiveness. Why? Because a person who, who does that has no repentance in his life. He doesn't care. And the person that commits the unpardonable sin doesn't care and doesn't even know he did it. Okay? So um, the Judaism that rejected the Messiah was that rabbinical Judaism, uh, and they committed the unpardonable sin. And what, you know what happened? What, what happened with that? It brought about God's judgment on the, in the year 70 A.D. when the city of Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. Uh, this is the judgment the writer of Hebrews speaks about, and it refers to physical, not spiritual death. Not every time God talks about death is spiritual death. Many times it's physical death, like, just like sometimes salvation is physical salvation, not spiritual salvation. Okay? So we must remember that the book, as I said before, was written just prior to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., and therefore, the five war there are five warning passages in the epistle, and these five warning passages that we're going to encounter in the book deal with physical death. Some people use these passages to teach the loss of salvation. But again, the text must be studied in its context. Remember, when you read the Bible, remember this. A text out of its context is a pretext. Okay? You always must study the scriptures in its context. A responsible biblical interpretation does not take texts out of context, but studies them in their context. Now, these Jewish believers are encouraged to not return to Judaism, but to grow spiritually and become mature believers, which, by the way, is the same thing Peter exhorts us to do. The last verse of the last chapter of the last book he wrote, 2 Peter 3.18, But grow ye in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And guess who he was writing? Who, who was he writing to? He was writing to Jewish believers. So we... Now... Somebody said, all the Bible is not about me, but all the Bible can apply to me. Are we supposed to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in our lives? 
Yes, no. We are supposed to grow spiritually, right? Not get stuck and, become, and remain babies. That's, a, that's, a, that's bad. That's, that's, that's not, God doesn't want us to do that. Okay? We, uh, God wants us to become mature believers. Also, it is important to realize that the warnings mentioned before are always based on what the writer had just stated. And that the words save or salvation in Jewish thought do not always refer to spiritual, but to physical salvation. And we're going to examine this when we reach those passages. And we'll see that they deal with physical judgments and physical salvation. And if a judgment is, is physical, so is the salvation. The examples given from the Old Testament all deal with physical judgments. Now, before we finish the introduction, let me give you a few key words that you're going to find in Hebrews. The first word you need to look for is the word better. Better. The book of Hebrews teaches us things that are better and is used 13 times in the epistle. The first example that I have, I'm going to give you a few. I'm not going to give you all of them. Chapter 1, verse 4. It says, having become so much better than the angels. Who is he talking about? The Lord. He's better than the angels. Again, the word better in chapter 7, verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And one more. Chapter 8, verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. So you see the word better there twice in that verse. So that's one of the key words in Hebrews, the word better. The second word I'm going to give you is the word perfect in the sense of maturity or perfect standing before God. In chapter 2 and verse 10, it says, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. So again, this is perfect in the sense of maturity or a perfect standing before God. The second time, or the second example I'm going to give you is in chapter 5 and verse 9. Having and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Chapter 5, verse um, 9, I gave you, right? And did I give you verse 6? No. Verse 6 also says, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, why am I giving you that? I should not be giving you that. 
I gave you what? Five, five nine, right? Did I? Five nine. Oh, okay, fine. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, the next one is I'm going to give you is the one. It's six one. It says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Again, the word perfect there, 6.1. And then 7.11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron. We're going to explain all that when we get to there, but what I want, I want you to pay attention to the word perfect right there. All right, and also in that same chapter, in verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. Okay? And verse 28, the last verse of the chapter of it says, For the law appoints as high priest men who have weakness, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. One more, chapter 10, verse 14. And this is one of the great verses of the epistle. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's us. One sacrifice. Perfected us for how long? For, for how long? Forever. Not too many Christians catch this. Not too many Christians know this. And they think they have to do this or do that. You know, oh, oh, I, oh I, I, I failed here. Hey, listen. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, forgave you for all your sins. Past, present, future. Now, that doesn't give you a license to go out and sin him, but if you do, it's already covered. Amen? So we saw better, we saw perfect. Now we have one, two more. Eternal or forever. That word is also key in the book of Hebrews. Eternal and forever. And the first one we find in chapter 1, verse 8. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Who's saying this? God the Father. To whom? God the Son. And how, how does God the Father call God the Son? God second uh, uh, reference I'm going to give you is in chapter 5, verse 6. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And again in verse 9, it says, and having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation, eternal or forever. Okay? In chapter 6, Of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying of hands, uh, laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Again, the word eternal there in chapter 6, verse 2. In the same chapter, chapter 6, verse 20. 
where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. How long is the Lord going to be alive? Forever. How long is he going to be our high priest? Forever. Is he our high, our, our high priest now? Yeah. Okay. And uh, the next one is chapter 7, verse 17. For he testifies, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he repeats this time and again in the epistle. <clears throat> then verse 21, where it says, For they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. See, time and again and again and again, the, the book of Hebrews reiterates the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is our priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Okay? And I'll explain all that in detail when we get to those verses. Right now, I'm just, I'm repeating myself, but I'm just giving you an introduction in the base uh, foundation for the book. Chapter 9, verse 12, it says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. The Lord's redemption is eternal. And when you put your trust in him, <clears throat> you are saved forever. And you cannot lose that. Okay? You cannot lose that. Look at the same chapter 9, uh, verse 14 and 15. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Again, eternal, eternal, eternal. And uh, one verse that we all know, I think, 13.8. Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and forever. 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 <clears throat> and the last one. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. What is a covenant? It's a pact, an agreement. And it's everlasting. The new covenant. Okay? So we saw better, we saw perfect, we saw eternal or forever. And also, the last word I'm going to give you today is heavenly. That's another key word in Hebrews, heavenly. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Our calling is not an earthly calling, it's a heavenly calling. Chapter 6, verse 4. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and, and have be, become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Again, heavenly. 
chapter 8 and verse 5. Who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. Chapter 9, verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And then the famous 11th chapter, the faith chapter, talking about Abraham. Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs, it says in verse 16, but now they, meaning the patriarchs, desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. And the last one for today is chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumer innumerable company of angels. So here we see the key words that appear in Hebrews. Theme, the theme, we're beginning to put the theme together, is important. I know this is a little technical this morning with the uh, introduction and all that, but I wanted you to know, you know, what the book of Hebrews is about. Lord willing, coming uh, next week, starting next week, uh, if we're still here and the Lord has not returned, and we are alive we're going to meet meeting again and we're going to start studying chapter one verse by verse and i hope you bring a little note book and pencil right to write things down okay and uh this way because see the things that you hear once you retain less than seven percent but if you hear them <coughs> hear them twice you retain them a little more that's why <clears throat> learning is just repetition. Uh, and the same thing happened when you went to school, right? So, <clears throat> nothing new. But it's important to write things down because when you write something down, then, then you have it there and you retain it better. Okay? So, this is just the introduction today. And we're going to try to keep the services short every week now until this crazy pandemonium passes. And uh, we can go back to normal, which we hope it will be soon. So uh, I know you probably have a lot of questions of the things we covered today, but be patient and those questions will be answered as the book is taught. And if you still have any questions after we teach, begin teaching the book, uh, listen, I'm available to explain anything you need. Amen. We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.